Uh, it is a blessing to be here and to be a part of a great church, and we have been in prayer for all of you and continue to do so. Uh, I want to preface my remarks this morning by telling you that men are mentioned in the Bible 2,615 times. The word M-A-N, man. Uh, then from there, I want to tell you that the word mankind and manhood, uh, they are mentioned six times in the Bible. And then the word men, M-E-N, are mentioned in the Bible 1,653 times. A total of God mentioning the male gender 4,275 times in the Bible. 4,275 times God addressed, talked to, about, or mentioned man. So, this does not include words like women or woman. It just dealt with the male gender. And so, after having discovered all that in my study... I made up my mind, wow, uh, it's a pretty big topic to God if he mentioned this over 4,000 times in the book that he wrote. So uh, I have put together some uh, thoughts today that I think are going to be helpful to us as men of God, fathers, and uh, the upcoming fathers in our church you younger guys that uh, have not yet become married and have your futures in front of you. And uh, to the nation itself, uh, God has given me this word. And I would like to invite you to turn with me into the New Testament to 1 John 2 and verse number 14. I turned this scripture in uh, from the New King James Version. And then when I got to the front of the church auditorium up here to uh, get my preaching Bible out, I found out that I did not have my new King James with me. I happened to have the regular standard old great KJV. So, Sister Janetta, which one do we have up here? Okay. All right. Very good. So, may I read some words given by God to an apostle uh, that spoke to the body of Christ. And I want to read to you what the Lord gave me from what he said. It says, I have written unto you fathers. Everybody see the word fathers. This is Father's Day. Because you have known him that is, listen to my words, from the beginning. So, uh, in other words, you've been around a long time, guys. Uh, you, you know him. You understand what God's all about. And then he said, I have written unto you young men because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. And so God addressed fathers young and old, and men in general. 
And having done that, he is making it doubly clear that the male gender plays a major role in the church world. I want to mention in your hearing today that there's a war that I read about one time. Uh, it was called uh, the, Tro the Story of the Trojan Horse. And it, it was an, an unusual story. I think actually I first stumbled across this maybe in junior high. Uh, and in junior high and then in the high school, we had a deal there called Greek mythology. And uh, it was required reading. Uh, I never did really, quote, enjoy it so much, but it was required reading. And there's a story about a war that started but between an argument or because of an argument between three goddesses. Uh, the, the war lasted for about ten years. I restudied some of that to make sure that I was not far off on my stats here. And the Greeks were fighting with the city of Troy. And they discovered that they could not win the war with their current plan. They had to make a change in strategy. And they made a decision to do something different from what they had been doing all the previous time. Since every effort that they had put forth to take the city of Troy had failed, they said, let's take the city of Troy not by force like we've tried, but let's take it by craft. Let's become crafty. Uh, and a wise, shrewd leader named Odysseus came up with an idea, and he sold it to the crowd at hand. The Greeks listened to him, and his command was for the Greeks to craft a large, hollow, wooden horse that would be big enough to accommodate about 100 soldiers on the inside. Uh, the Greeks, when finished with this horse, they rolled it up to the gates of the city of Troy on the beach. As it is stated in the story, 100 soldiers waited inside the horse patiently while the fellow Greek soldiers on the outside got on ships and acted as, as if they were going to sail away, to go away in defeat. Uh, as the mythical story goes, the soldiers of Troy rolled the horse into the city, closed and locked the gates, and then celebrated their apparent victory. Their thought was, well, the Greeks didn't win. They built us a token and left it on the beach in front of our gates. Wow, watch them. They're sailing away. They're gone now. So when they have gone, let's go get the horse and bring it in, and we'll have a party. We'll sing and dance and we'll have a big day. It will be good because we have won the war with the Greeks. The celebration started and it got pretty big. They sang, they danced, they drank. They were having a drunken time. And finally, after well into the night, 
the alcohol had done its job and the celebration had made everybody tired. So all the soldiers inside the city with the gates locked fell asleep and they were resting. What they did not know is that uh, the Greek soldiers had waited for a little while and then sailed back to the beach. And while the Greeks had finished their celebration, or while the men of Troy had, the Greeks came back to the beach, they climbed out of the ships, and then the hundred soldiers inside the huge horse quietly opened it up. They crawled out. They went to the gates of Troy and unlocked them, opened them wide, and then the Greek soldiers came in and all of a sudden invaded the city, and the city of Troy fell by craft. The city of Troy was burned. It was destroyed. Troy fell to the Greeks. I want to make a very powerful point now, if I may, after having given you a refresher and an old, old story that I read when I was a teenager. The story of Troy has something behind it. It fell for four reasons. Number one, the enemy was crafty, not forceful. Number two, they got curious. They said, let's roll it in. The next one was, after our celebration, they became complacent. And then after they went through complacency, they were disturbed and awakened by the Greek soldiers, and suddenly confusion set in. And after craft, curiosity, complacency, and confusion, the last word that happened was collapse. I think that some of you that have a discerning mind have already figured out something here. I've, uh, I've just, looking from uh, my point of view to your faces, some of you have already found out where this is going to go. You see, uh, the Greeks did not roll that horse into the city. They just made it available. They just made it possible. The Greeks just put it out there. The city of Troy are the ones who rolled it inside the city that cost them their victory and their caused their defeat. I want you to listen to this. Sometimes Satan does not rule by force, but he rules by craft. Sometimes he does not come headstrong, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, and face to face. Sometimes he comes by masquerade at Halloween. Kids by the multiplied millions put on masks. The term masquerade, the definition is to wear a mask or a disguise, to appear or to attempt to appear in a character that is not your own. And I might add right here that Satan is just artful enough and crafty enough that he has rolled a Trojan horse to the gates of the church 
and the nation right now. And we have become curious, complacent, confused, and we've got to watch out because our next step could easily be collapse. Well, I'm pulling for some amens and I'm getting a one or two. Maybe in a little while it'll get telegraphed across. But whether it does or not, I'm going to load you up this morning. You better have your plate turned right side up and your fork and your knife and your spoon ready because I'm going to force feed you. Everybody get it? Say amen. You see, uh, he has rolled a horse up to the gates of the church and the nation. And what the British could not do, what the Japanese could not do, what the Germans could not do in earlier wars, what Castro could not do in Cuba, and what the Iraqis and the Soviets and all other tyrants of the world could never do, now in this nation we're gradually doing it to ourselves. There is no foreign threat in the world right now as bad as America's desire for drugs, alcohol, sinful lifestyles, illicit sex acts. And what has happened is it has become so commonplace now that our world is suddenly on the brink of saying the doctrines of the Bible are not important anymore. We can just go along with everybody, and it all comes under the headlines of inclusion. That is the word that's on your television every day of your life, whether you see it or not. The doctrine of inclusion. The Hitlers of our past are not killing millions of Jews anymore. Uh, but our Supreme Court in the past, I might mention, uh, has allowed our medical profession to take the lives of nearly 70 million babies by legalizing abortion. Uh, Hitler didn't do that. Castro didn't do that. Uh, Putin did not do that. Uh, those guys didn't do that. The Vietnams of our history are not presently destroying our young men. There's a legalized addiction in this world to legalized drugs, alcohol, that wipes out 56,000 lives a year in accidents on U.S. highways. I Googled it the other day for fun and found out that 14,000 of these deaths occur in the state of Texas on our highways because of drunk drivers that's an average of about 40 a day being killed in our state because of that problem of alcohol. 400,000 plus Americans will die this year in this nation because of our addictive drug called nicotine. Oh, you're not supposed to preach against cigarettes anymore. Uh, tough luck, honey. I have seen enough. I've read enough, I have heard enough, and what we used to preach against, what we used to make a stand against, what we used to get up in our pulpits and boldly describe as things that can hurt us and kill us and damn us, 
have all been bypassed because we have looked at the Trojan horse that was rolled up on the beach. And the enemy said, I can't beat you guys by force. I'll just get you curious and see if I can wear you out with it. And look what hell has done to the nation. I'm waiting on you now. Go ahead. Amen. Uh, Russia and its leadership under Mr. Putin uh, is not threatening to wipe us out before the end of this year. He knows he can't do it. He can't even beat his neighboring little country over there, what he's trying to do. I, I, I want everybody to listen to me today. Listen carefully. I might hit happy ground in a little while, but until then I'm going to let you know that Satan has gotten pretty wise. And we've had some pretty powerful pulpits and preachers in our history. And at one time our nation stood up with a backbone like a saw log and said, this is the way it is, and if we'll walk this direction, we'll never fall to the enemy. And that was a proven fact for unbelievable decades. But now I'm sensing more and more that we have an out-of-control prairie fire that is taking place with fentanyl and promiscuity and drug needles and diseases that are wiping us out. And all the time we're saying we've got to figure out something. The Surgeon General said that 1.2 million people died from HIV-AIDS in the United States alone already. And then they predicted higher numbers, but now, due to great medical research and the help of our physicians and scientists with good medicine, those numbers have slowed some. I'm glad for that. I hate to see anybody die. When AIDS first hit the scene around here, I preached funerals of people that were as young as 19 to 22 and 23 years old and buried them in our neighborhood cemeteries around here, and several of them. And one day when I was walking out of that cemetery, it's about a half a mile from here, right across the hill, right over there. I was walking out of it, and I got in the car with a funeral director that's in this uh, house this morning way back there. And uh, he, he looked at me and said, you see those two guys standing over there reading grave markers? And I said, yes, sir, I see them. And he looked at me, Toby did, and he said, uh, well, I want to tell you something. He said, they were in the funeral home. Just a few days ago, buying pre-need services because they're both infected. And they've already bought their grave plots and preparing to die. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not trying to be mean today, but I'm trying to tell you that Satan is artful and crafty. And he's on a war path. And the closer we get to the rapture of the church, the more I'm seeing entire denominations lay their swords down and open their doors up and say, come on in. We'll take you. It's all right. I don't know if you understand today, but uh, the current rate of deaths right now in the United States of America for HIV pay, uh, and AIDS patients still runs over something over 15,000 a year. It was not, and I'm going to change his name a little bit for fun here if you'll laugh for me. Uh, it was not infidel Castro, little play on words, uh, that was burning our flag uh, back in those days with Cuba. It was our own Supreme Court that misinterpreted the First Amendment right 
that helped us destroy our loyalty to a God-fearing nation. And this nation was founded and based on Christian principle and freedom to worship God and to magnify the name of Jesus. And a year ago in a Thanksgiving service, I stood at First Baptist Church and I read quote after quote after quote in that service to our city and our preachers of Abraham Lincoln who repeatedly mentioned the name of God and prayer and the nation seeking God while he may be found. I want you to understand today that we've got a new enemy now and he's raising his head fastly. Quickly he's raising his head. Tanner brought this to my attention so well a few weeks ago from behind our pulpit when he asked the question on the big screen and it said, are you awake or woke? Did y'all catch that on the screen that day? I caught it that day. I said, wow, he gave me a sermon. Amen. I give him enough. I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. Amen. Uh, I just want you all to know that it's extremely important that we understand and know that, that God can help us and lead us and guide us. In view of the above statements that I've just made to you, we all agree that Satan has left something on the beach in this nation. That's not literal but in front of us. It is the front door of every church in this nation, every church. It's at the front door of our nation, and it's creeping in rapidly because of our curiosity. We've not suffered defeat from without. We really haven't. No enemy army has conquered Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C., but an internal weaknesses of sin and lack of faith have deteriorated spiritual values, and a Trojan horse has been rolled up, and the devil didn't push it in the church. He just set it at the front door and gave us a choice. And I'm really afraid that most of our denominations today have opened that door and said, well, come on in. It'll be okay. I know that I haven't gotten to the father part yet, but I'm talking about men today. Man of God, there's a place for you. In this world, God mentioned you over 4,000 times in His book. That cannot be overlooked. That cannot be in hindsight. God said that in His Word. I'm not being harsh when I tell you this, but Satan is wielding his sword of craft, not force in our face. He's wielding his sword very fast, very wild, and very loud. All you have to do is listen to one newscast on the evening television or bring your app up on the phone and go to something. And you'll find out quickly that everything that you read is another spot of deterioration that a born-again, blood-washed, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled man should be crying out against right now but our men have become mostly silent across this nation and saying, well, that's just the way it's going to be in these days. Somewhere we need a revival. Somewhere we need godly men to get up in different denominations. Somewhere we need godly preachers to stand up one more time and say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You see, I want you to understand 
Here's the next reason that Troy fell. It fell because of craft. The enemy is very, very crafty and sly. Secondly, it fell because of curiosity. Curiosity has brought millions of people from behind the walls of safety. The people in Troy were behind walls of safety. They had been hit for ten years and hadn't fallen yet. But when they got curious, let's just try it. Just just see how it goes. It probably won't hurt much. Let's just try. And when that attitude and that spirit came to them, it brought something devastating. And after a little while, that curiosity uh, got them. And the Bible standards that we have lived by, and when our forefathers encouraged you to be in church, encouraged all of us to pray every day, to read our Bible, to witness for Christ, to live a life above reproach, to do what God would have us do, suddenly uh, it was something that we just looked at in the modern church world. Denominations said, you know, we read that in the Bible, but it's really not what it means, I don't think. I know it's in there, but, you know, the Bible is God's Word, but maybe not all of it. And then again and again and again and again it kept happening. And now today, major denominations have endorsed lifestyles that are against God, against His Word, against the principles of God's eternal truth, against everything that God stood for. And, and I read the other day, and I heard a preacher that you probably have heard of on TV and radio, and he's an author, and he said that the latest thing here is 269 different gender assignments are on Facebook today. 269 different gender assignments. How in the world could you get 269 different gender assignments? When God created male and female, and then he said, those two shall become one. All that means if you have a calculator or if... Starcy, if you went to public school like I did, you need one because I, I didn't learn much. But if you, if, you can, if you can listen to what I'm trying to say, 269 different assigned uh, genders, that means that 267 of those assigned genders are wrong. That's what that means. There are 267 of them that are wrong. Y'all put your hands together. You can clap. It's all right. I know, I know it's a little stiff for some of you, but, you know, when you hit the altar and get a whole lot of Jesus in you, and you realize that the church has never been, never been tied to the world tightly. Never been tied tightly to the world. I, 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 somebody said, well, we can't win them if we're not among them. I, Jesus was among them, but he never went their way. Let your light so shine that men everywhere may see your good works and magnify God. Amen. If you wanna, if you wanna jump on me, come on. After church, I think I'll win. Amen. The only thing I listen to is the word. By the way, there's a public cry today, and it's very simple. Let us do what we want. It's my body. I want to treat it the way I want to. I want to do what I want to do. It'll come under the word of inclusion. 
We'll just include everybody and we'll just go through our lives in one big happy bunch. I read a little illustration. I'm going off script to the sound booth right now. It's not in uh, the notes they have in the back, but uh, I, I read a little illustration the other day about a, a man in the house. And his wife looked at him and said, Dear, our precious little child here is going to have to be with you for a couple of hours. I have some errands to run. And Dad said, What am I going to do for a few hours with a little kid? How am I going to keep him entertained? What will I be able to do? You're the mother. She said, Later, alligator. And she got her little purse and her grocery list and hooked them out. He thought to himself, i got to do something. So he picked up a picture and a magazine of the United States of America. He got him some scissors and cut it in little pieces and scrambled it all up and laid it on the floor. And he said to the little guy, why don't you put that map back together? And that little boy said, okay. And Dad walked away. And in just a little while, he came back, just a few minutes, and the map was perfect. Ever state in place. It was all perfect. And Dad stared and said, how did you do that? What gave you the ability to do that? And he said, well, when you had your scissors cutting the map to pieces, I was looking up from the backside. And it was a man and a woman in a picture, and I figured if I could put the man and woman back together, I could fix the map. Someday, we got to get it right again. I'll leave it alone. The modern day says, if I don't like marriage, I can get out. If I want to be holy, I will. And if I don't, I won't be. I have the right to self-govern. It's my own life. By the way, they say, man is naturally good anyway. And my question would be, uh, if that's the case, then uh, <laughs> why is every jail and prison in the nation at 100% capacity? Somebody's looking at it from a different perspective. May I tell you this? Satan has got us curious in the church. We have too many add-ons. We're just adding everything we can that just tilts and leans a little bit away from the will of the Word of God. The Trojans were not only conquered by craft, uh, and curiosity, after they had their big party, they got complacent. Nothing alarmed them anymore. Oh, that's just the way it is. Who cares? It'll all come out in the washing. Oh, you can't do anything about it, so stop trying, preacher. There was an experience one time of a man who never visited the Gulf. He got down there and saw the waters. And all of a sudden he looked around and on the beach there were hundreds and hundreds of starfish that had swept upon the beach from the tides. And they were everywhere. And all of a sudden he looked down 
And he said, they're going to die. And he picked up a starfish. And he threw it back out into the gulf as far as he could throw. And then he grabbed another one. And then another one. And he threw and he threw until his arm was tired. And the guy looked at him and said, you can't save all those starfish. You're not going to make a difference. And he said, I'll make a difference in this one. And he threw it. And I'll make a difference in this one. And he threw it. And the way we make a difference is one at a time. We can make a difference. Well, Brother Johnson, what do you mean complacency? When that group of soldiers from Troy rolled that horse in, they said, we beat them. We whooped them. Let's go and party. And when they had gotten so out of it, the soldiers inside the horse opened it up, crawled out, opened up the gates of the city, and that Greek army came back in and flooded that town because of complacency. Do you know that living for Jesus is not something that we're to do in a very laid-back manner? We ought to be Christian, period. We ought to be Christian, period. Uh, I, I believe that apathy, don't care, I believe that uh, that, that early on, it, it, can, it can beat the daylights out of us early, and then we won't ever really know it. You see, uh, I, I want everybody to hear me. I, I'm not trying to be a, a mean man today, but when you get ho-hum about altar calls, and when it gets to the point to where the modern pulpits say, if you want to make a decision concerning Christ, meet the people at the learning or the... Uh, the welcome booths, and they'll give you literature you can read. Where we no longer take people and pray with them personally and talk to them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and win people to the Lord and preach to them about God and Christ. I know people, and I've preached in churches before, where they would say stuff, and I, I'll do this as a tongue-in-cheek statement so you'll know that I'm not being mean to anybody. But I preached for one of our pastors on the West Coast, and he said, we get out at noon, you can preach as long as you want to, but after that, we won't be here. <laughs> and he was serious, and he said, we got to get out of here so we can beat First Baptist to the restaurant for Sunday lunch. Amen. I, I know that there are places to get out. I know there are places to get complacent. But God is not one of them. God is not one of them. I, I, I want you to hear me. I see young couples get married, aspiring to a great future. I see that. Man, I've done so many weddings. Uh, I, it, I've seen beautiful weddings all decorated out. We, we've, we've been through that, and then one day... After their marriage, they would make friends with another couple that weren't churched. And they would have a nice party at their house one Saturday night with barbecue. And they'd watch a movie in the living room or whatever. And they'd just be friends. And then that visiting family would stay a little too late. And the next morning, when it was time to get up and go to Sunday school and church, that family would say, oh, we stayed up to 5 o'clock watching that movie. We can't make it today and roll over, and go back to sleep, and miss the house of God. 
Or when the children get bigger, let everything that happens in the realm of education rob them of the house of God. When I was a boy, they wouldn't even let you have high school or junior high football on a Wednesday night because churches still had church. And there were enough parents that said, we're going to go Wednesday. And our boy or girl won't be here. And guess what? They wouldn't have practice on Wednesday. But over a period of time, we have become complacent. Have we not? Have we not? We're so complacent now that uh, sometimes we won't set the proper example. Uh, Look, with your kids, start early. Don't quit. Keep teaching them. Do the same thing, parents, to your grandkids. Somebody said, well, the grandkids not my responsibility. If you believe that, you don't believe your Bible. Your Bible says that your grandkids are your responsibility as well. It said, you tell your kids and your children's children. And you keep telling them. You put it on frontlets in their head. Come on, body of Christ. You put it on the doorpost. You put it wherever it is. You tell them. And if their parents don't tell them, you tell them anyway. And i got some news for you. If you have children that are grown and their kids don't go to church, you go get them, Grandpa, Grandma. You bring them in the name of Jesus. They'll go to heaven if you'll do it. They'll go to heaven if you'll do it. Praise God. Now, you soon get to a point, if you're not careful with complacency, that, uh, uh, you know, there's just too much to do to even go to the house of God. You see, the Trojan horse is rolled up in front of us. Our political leaders are screaming out loud, You Christians, get behind your stained glass windows and shut up and stay there. You have freedom of religion. Go do it, but you stay inside your stained glass windows. They got it wrong, pal. My religion is not in this house. My religion is in a hospital room. It's in a nursing home. It's on the street. It's at a stop sign. It's at that store down at the first stoplight. Come on, shout amen. My religion is out there everywhere I go. Every day of my life, I'm telling somebody that the Lord is alive and that Jesus is coming. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and that Jesus Christ still saves. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. I, I, well, I feel a run coming on. I've got to slow down because I'm racing the clock already. Listen to this. The city of Troy, the city of Troy uh, has, has, has opened up the, the gate, the church, and just let it in. The Trojan horse has been rolled up, and we haven't discovered the facts yet. But eventually, when it's too late, we might. So let's, let's wake up. It's Father's Day. Let's say to the man of God that has children, do something about that seven days a week. Amen. Let's do something about it every day. Let's do something good. The people of Troy unknowingly took their enemy in, and it resulted in their defeat. And I might add, the shock came when the Greeks started coming in the gates of the city and found out that the gates were unlocked. Let's go get them. Let's tear them up. Let's do it, and we'll win, and Troy will fall. And they went from curiosity to complacency, and now they're at that point called collapse. 
I, I want to tell everybody this because it's in my spirit. Uh, when, when we get to that point to where we're not doing what we should do, we get confused. Can you imagine? Put yourself into place. You're a soldier and a citizen of Troy. And all of a sudden you wake up. You've been, you had a big party. Life was good. Woo! Well, boy, didn't we have a time? Ah, you know. And you, you had this good old Texas thing, you know. Uh, and, and here you are in the middle of that kind of stuff. And, and of course, you know, you can relate because you, you've seen enough in our state. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, when, when that has taken place, and you look around, and then uh, you're from Troy, and you say, wait, wait, what, what, what is this? And all of a sudden, the Greek soldiers are on top of you. And you're confused. You don't have a weapon anymore. You can't fight anymore. All you can do is succumb to the will of the enemy. You don't have anything to stand for anymore. People asked me the other day, a woman had been saved 50 years. She had been saved 50 years. And she listened to so much, heard so much, and seen so much. She looked at me and said, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I said, go get your Bible and read your Bible and read it and read it and believe what it says and not what all the extras are being thrown in. Live for God and walk in Jesus. Do you understand this today? Some people occupy church pews and shout amen and then all the way home will complain about the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, the singer, the evangelist. How long it went, how short it went. They didn't do this, they didn't do that, and they'll do that stuff in front of their kid. And the other day a guy told me, he said, I don't go to church. I'm not going to go to church. I went to church and I had a bad experience. Don't ask me to go back. And I said, have you ever eaten a bad meal in a restaurant? And he said, well, sure. I said, are you going to quit eating for the rest of your life? He said, well, no. I said, then go find a church. Get in it. Go to heaven in it. And everybody said amen. I'm going to keep asking for amens till you get them going, okay? <laughs> no wonder we're confused. No wonder our kids have gone through confusion. You see, there's a way to solve this confusion that plagues our home life and our homes and churches. The answer is that the parents get a direction from God, they know God, and they do the things of God, and they know where they're going to get a direction from God at the altar and pray and seek God. And there's an old term in our churches called pray through. How long has it been since you heard that term? Come to the altar today and pray through. And somebody asked me one day, well, what does that mean? And I said, it only means that you have never done it yet. You don't know what it is, so you've never done it. Where you go to an altar, you bury your face on it, you bathe it with salty tears, and you weep before the Lord and pray in the Spirit, in tongues, like the Bible tells you to do. Oh, Brother Johnson, when the last one of the twelve apostles died, that left to, ah, oh, baloney. Why don't you go and read that to me in the Bible and I'll get up and preach against tongues next Sunday. Forgive my bluntness. 
forgive my boldness, I guess. But, but pray and seek God and do what God said do. And you see, when you get that direction, listen, moms and dads, fathers, if ain't nobody driving the bus, the campers are going to get nervous. Get somebody in the driver's seat. Not supposed to say ain't. Yeah, I'm, I know. Ain't it true though, huh? Get in the get in the driver's seat. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The book of Chronicles is given to us by the tribe of Issachar when they were discerned by God's Spirit about the, the times of change. You know what we've done now? The Issachar tribe has gone from the church. People don't discern things anymore. Oh, they said, it's all right, let's just go do it. We stop discerning things. Here's the wrap-up. Now, get the wrap-up. Are you ready? Leadership in your house. Leadership in your house is nothing more than your vision and your influence in that home. And when you get your leadership and your influence in that home, God can help you and help you take over in the Spirit. Parents should weep before the Lord. They should pray. They should pray in the Spirit. They should obey God and His Word and get up from the altar and say, I've heard from God. I know where we're going. Now, let's go. You see, craft, curiosity, complacency, and confusion led to the last deal. And that last one right here is collapse. That city collapsed. It cratered. And there are those among us right now that might be a person that would belittle a man or a woman of God who would stand up in a modern church and say, the Trojan horse is on the beach right now. Oh, you're just a calamity howler. You're just yelling about it. You're just hollering about it because you're an old-timer. Look at me carefully. We have heavy metal groups pounding our kids' minds every day of their life. We have mixed that with wild television channels, the Internet, TikTok, Snapchat, and 500 other things that are on your app store on your telephone. And I mean the list could go on, and I started listing about 150 of them, and I decided not to because it's keep you here till 2 o'clock. We have every bit of that stuff, and then you take all of that with cancel culture, and everybody's saying the church has got to be quiet and get out of the way. We have an agenda to meet. And then you put that with woke, and you get a godless agenda, and the world is on the verge of collapse. And here we are singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine when the glory of God has not fallen in some of our churches in years. Let's, let's see what God is doing, and let's go for it. The Bible tells us still that evil, that evil communications will corrupt good morals. You, you take all the stuff I just mentioned and couple it with AI, which is, come on, body, say amen. You may as well say amen to that. That artificial intelligence, you just, you just take off on it. And by and by, and soon and soon, we'll find out that the Trojan horse was rolled up, and we gradually took it. Not because they pushed it through the gates, but because we opened them up and we let him in. How many of you understand today that this is the truth this morning? Can I see your hand? How many of you understand? 
that the Trojan horse is in, in the nation. It's at the church's front door. It's everywhere you turn. When Barbara and I were, our kids were little, they had a little song we sang in our youth rallies called We're the Members of the PYPA. That was Pentecostal Young People's Association. And we sang it in every youth rally, and we preached 10,000 of those, I think, it felt like, over the nation. And and I'll be to my soul. We'd get in a grocery store, and Barbara would be pushing the cart, and I'd be over there looking for something, and our kids would be walking. <laughs> Jamil's not in here. That's a good thing. <laughs> and Melissa would be walking down the aisle, and they'd be singing, We are the members of the PYPA. We're in this battle, and we're here to stay. Routing out the devil, seeking souls each day. We are the members of the PYPA. And they sang it. And people would stop and say, what are they singing about? Because they never had heard of it. Now, if you're from some other denomination, Assembly of God, y'all didn't do that. Y'all sang, we are Christ's ambassadors. I knew your song too, Okay. Come on, all you AG people, raise your hand and say amen. All right, so, so what I'm trying to tell you is this. Let's put it in them while they're young. Amen. You got kids' church. You got Sunday school. You got Bible preaching. You got Royal Rangers. You got the girls' programs. You got souls at our hand. And they also have something else pulling on them. And it's an app from a thousand different areas that they can load up or you can load up and let them be entertained by that 100%. Or you can make sure that the Greeks do not come and walk into the gate that we opened up and let them take over. And I'm not talking about people from Greece. I'm talking about in symbolic form, the enemy that cannot take the church by force, but by craft. Men of God, this is your day to make your vote. It's your day, men of God, to say, I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to have everybody in the house today to uh, be prepared to be dismissed after we pray. I, I don't think... I really don't think that today's sermon, and I, I really feel this in my spirit. I wouldn't have done it this way. I don't think that today's sermon was designed to preach you under deep conviction and make you hold on to the back of a pew and say, oh, God, I'll be embarrassed to go down to the front. I think today was something different from that. I think it was a call of God. I think it was an alarming call that said, gentlemen, men, man, manhood, and mankind. Over 4,000 times I addressed you in the Bible. Rise and take your place in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, in your family, and in your church. In Jesus' name. And the body of Jesus shouted, Amen.